So welcome to PGU Barbell Podcast, episode eight. We've got the awesome Dr. Winston George Ellis here. Hey, is that all right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm still, I still kind of get used to the doctor, but yeah, you know, yeah. some people say it. I'm like, yeah, but yeah, that is Dr. Winston. You've got a rocket as it is, man. you got to own that. <laughs> So why did we ask him here? Um, so he's an awesome actor. Um, he's also a, a martial artist and he loves the gym himself. And not to mention, he's an actual Reddit boy. Yes. <laughs> I'm a Reddit boy. That's it. Awesome. I keep coming up to Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely, man. Uh, great to meet you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me on the show, guys. See? So, born in Reddit. And where did it all go from there? Yeah, well, it all go wrong. No, I was born. I was born at a hospital called Delwood. Doesn't see the thing is, right? This is like a trauma time for me now because I was born in a hospital which was called Delwood Hospital. And once I left, once I after the year I was born, there, they turned it into a, a mental institution. <laughs> and then it became now it's like a nursing home for cancer patients. And then I went to Alfreston Boys School. Oh, yeah. And the year I left there, they changed that. They closed that. <laughs> you <laughs> left your mark then. Yeah, so I'm starting to really have this stigma. I'm thinking, what have I done? You know? Yeah, Reddy's always been my home. I love Reddy's always been my place. Yeah. Wicked. And obviously you're a big gym man. So did you get started in the gym early? or? Um, yeah, I started uh, I started doing, I was used to a Boy Scout, funny enough, and I was doing the Boy Scout stuff. And um, they had this thing where they said you had to have an interest badge. And I was into that. I was always focused trying to get anything done. But when I had the interest, I thought, hobby oh, thought, what am I going to do? And I couldn't think of anything to do. And they opened up a martial arts school at the bottom of my road. I had no idea what martial arts was all about. I didn't even know them. I thought to myself, I'll just go down there. I'll do it for a few weeks, get the badge. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Went down there and I absolutely fell in love with the martial arts. And that was it. And that was, I never looked back at Boy Scout stuff ever again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just engrossed myself. And then when I was about 16, I met with the famous Dave French. And um, he used to have a little gym by a place called the Alfred's Head Pub. It was like a little garage. Yes. So I said, this, this little area here. And I started training with him because and he started introducing me into different types of strength training. Because the martial arts was great. I and mean, it's great for your flexibility, for your speed, and all that kind of stuff like that. But I always felt to myself, I need something more behind it. You know what I mean? And he, did sort of, he, he was very good at helping you condition your body for that type of exercise, that type of um, uh, thing. So, I've been doing it since I was about 16 years old. So, you know, nice, nice. Yeah. And uh, we, we quickly touched on before you started recording um, uh, how far you've gone in the martial arts world. So just give us a lowdown of your biggest achievements because some of them are really yeah. actually quite amazing, actually. I was <laughs> pretty <the> shocked. Martial, <laughs> in the martial arts world, I'm a three-time world champion with Thai kickboxing. I'm a US Open winner and I'm a black belt seventh down in Kung Fu. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, so the thing is, right, you know, I look back... Take what you want, man. <laughs> 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 I look back over that time now and I think to myself, you know, I, I focused so much of my life into the martial arts and it was because I suffered with dyslexia. So when I was going to school, you know, they didn't have a diagnosis back then. And so, you know, I used to always cause disruption in classes I get thrown out. And I remember when I left school, my teacher, the head teacher of school saying to me, Mr. Ellis, you're never going to amount to anything. And I was about 16 years old. And the funny thing is, I turned about 36, 37, and he was working for me for about 10 years. He ended up yeah. working for me. Because the martial arts gave me discipline. And then, you know, once you start training, you get into that sort of, once you do it for two weeks, it becomes like a habit. Do it for a month, it becomes like a routine, it becomes a way of life, you know what I mean? And it's all the discipline. And so I have to take that discipline in every other aspect of my life. You know? Awesome. What's your favorite uh, martial art? And... What did you start with? Yeah. I, started with I started with Lao Gao Kung Fu. 
And then I went on to Eagle Pope Kung Fu with a guy called Leon Fu, and uh, we did Hong and then I got into Jiu Jitsu. And then I really want, because the thing is, I didn't just want to wear a belt. Do you know what I mean? I saw a lot of guys back then, there was all these different organizations that were up, and everybody, everybody, had, everybody had a black belt. But I didn't just want to wear a belt, I wanted to actually turn and say, well, if I'm going to put this on, I want to know it works. So I started to turn and get into Thai boxing with Master Toddy and Master Sken, Ronnie Green, and these guys. And um, that's when I started to try and compete. Because I thought to myself, anyone going to find out how good I am is I'm going to go to Holland, I'm going to go to Germany, and I'm going to take on guys out there and I'm going to see if this works. You know I mean? <laughs> and that's what I started doing and ended up going off and up in America, and in Japan, and in Hong Kong, and you know I mean? the rest Wow, of the you've seen the world with it as well. Yeah, it's, this, this martial arts has taken me around the world. And it's given me the career I have today because how I got into the film business, I was actually on the beach in Cyprus. And I had just finished, I had finished my last fight, I detached my retina, <laughs> find a Holland guy, and it was like quarter to 12 midnight, and I remember thinking, I've got my son now, and I'm a father, and I can't afford to keep getting beaten up like this. I've got my hands all busted up, <laughs> I'm thinking, I can't afford to get, keep getting up, get beaten up like I've got to find a different type of career. And at the time, I had the gymnasium, but people weren't really, as much as they're into it now, they wasn't really into it then. So I remember I was on the beach and I started doing my classes and doing these martial arts with but no one's watching it. And all of a sudden this little Chinese guy comes up and he goes, um, my boss has been watching you from the hotel. And I was like, okay. And back then I had, you remember, I had a little long curly hair. I was like, listen, don't let the whole, don't let the mum go fool you, man. That ain't gonna happen. He's like, no, no, seriously, my boss wants to meet you. And he took me back into the hotel and it was Jackie Chan and Philip Cohen. They were there location wow. shooting for a movie. Six weeks later, I was in Hong Kong making my first picture. And that's how I got in the movie business. Yeah, that's amazing. I never told none of my family, none of my friends, I never told anybody. Took off to Hong Kong. Black man in Hong Kong, no other black man out there. You get off a plane in Hong Kong and everybody's like this time. You can see over here, you know what I mean? And I'm like, I stood out like a sort of You were the original Chris Tucker. <laughs> There's a story behind that, because I swear to you, I have a photograph with me and Jackie in his, in his uh, offices. And he sat down and he told me the concept of that movie. And I said to myself, never work. Up until the time, there was no crossover movies. Yeah. Hong Kong movies, it was a case of, you do the action, and about two minutes later, you hit sound. Because they do this thing called sync sound. So when you, I never spoke Cantonese. I speak Cantonese now, but I never spoke it back then. So it was a case of whenever time I was doing dialogue on the screen, it was like one, two, three, four, four, three, two, one. And that was what I did. And then some Chinese girl would come behind me and say, "What it in?" They're the original good ones. They were all the ones. He's got a really good accent. <laughs> so, so the thing about it is, when they when he was coming to me and telling me all this stuff, I was thinking, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. But in the back of my mind, never gonna happen. Never gonna happen. I look at it now because it's one of the biggest franchises. Yeah. But I think myself certain things are meant for certain people. Because if you think about it, like Pirates of the Caribbean, I did that years later. That was supposed to be Tom Cruise as the lead character. Now, really? Yeah. Nah. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Because Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, and Robert Downey Jr., they all got off of the park before Johnny Cook. Yeah. You just couldn't imagine anyone else playing yeah, that role. Exactly. And now you can't imagine because Johnny brought his own personal character to it. And it's the same thing with Chris Tucker. That role was made for him, do you know what I mean? Him and, him and Jackie, they've got a relationship that's just, you know what I mean? It's and um, 
I always I love his voice as well you know that yeah, sort of like high pitch voice, you know, yeah. that really I works in that, that comedy scene with Jackie Chan yeah and, uh, I can't do that I can't do that I can't do that are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> the thing about the Chinese guy behind me <laughs> you could have dubbed it we did this, we did this um, fight routine um, with Jackie when I first went out there and um, basically they did, nowadays the stunt, I used to do all my own stunts back then but what they used to do is they have hydraulics what we do in the movies now so if you get shot by a shotgun you get a big kick you've got like a strap up on you and the hydraulic system pulls you through well back then we never had all that <laughs> you know what I mean and so I was fighting Jackie in this film and he's going to kick and I'm supposed to go flying through this good pair of glass I was like, well, how's that going to happen? And he was like, well, this is what I'm going to do. Those 10 guys, the Chinese guys there, are going to hold on to a rope. And they're going to put that rope around your waist. And I'm going to hit you, and you're going to go flying through that glass. <laughs> and that's how they do it. And he goes, but before I start, I want you to kick me in the face. And I'm thinking, I beat one. And he goes, it's going to be this fight routine. And he's going to be this round that's kick, and kick me in the face. I'm thinking, I don't care how good you think you are. <laughs> if I kick you in the face, you ain't getting up. <laughs> like, no. And he goes, no, no, no. What we're going to do, we're going to film it. You're going to do this, kick you going to come around. But when you get to this area, you're going to go right in front of me. The camera's behind. You're going to go, you're going to go right in front of me. I'm going to show the impact. He says, how are you going to do that? He goes, watch. So they put the camera behind Jackie. And he goes right through it. And I threw around that stick right in front of him. Then they turn the camera around and so point at him on the side of his face here. And he goes, we're going to throw the same kick, but this time you're going to take your trousers off. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and basically it was like, I took off the trousers and took off my socks and shoes. Honestly, not true story. And they put his arm, this arm, through this leg of the trousers. All right, so they threw the, the sock on, put the shoe on, looked at the guy's face and bam. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. I'm like, damn, that was just completely crushing me. You wanted to, you wanted to kick his face. Yeah, that was it. That's how I got into the industry. Oh, that's amazing, man. So, did uh, obviously your training career then brought you to the the forefront of the film industry? Yeah, you know, the thing is, I think back then a lot of guys weren't, a lot of actors weren't really working out and they just started performing their art. And then it started to become a trend where, you know, you start training, you work out, you get different roles. And I was getting roles as a bodyguard, I was a hitman, I was a fighter. And then it just started to grow and grow and grow. Yeah. But I say, yeah, training and discipline and focus, like that's, that's what helped to get me my career yeah. going. And for the people that are obviously listening, if you haven't checked out his uh, Instagram yet, um, you're you're in shape from from your whole life basically. I didn't find a picture of you out of shape basically. <laughs> I was like, there's got to be one. There's got to be some dirt. <laughs> Even like Wikipedia, where's the dirt? <laughs> no, I, I've always tried to keep myself in some sort of reasonable shape because I, I think of myself is um, uh, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. That's how I was looking at it. And the thing is, with this industry, things change. And you know, I, I could, for example, say how I got Paris to the Caribbean. I was actually in South Africa and I was shooting a Crunch and a Cool Place commercial. And it was like a takeoff of Point Break where Keanu Reeves is chasing. Yeah, and, I saw that. That was cool. I like that. That's cool. That's really cool. <laughs> so I did that commercial and I remember being out there for two weeks filming this commercial and my agent called up. He said, um, We've had a phone call from Jerry Brookham. I don't want to do Paris to the Caribbean. This is the second film. And they'd already done the first one. I was thinking, Paris to the Caribbean? Yeah, yeah, it's one of these old pirate movies. I'm like, Nah, not for me. The thing is, I'm a black man. I'm a black man, slave, and I'm gonna get whipped and get killed in the first scenes. I'm like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so I took it down. Honestly, I took it down. 
came back to the UK a week later after shooting a commercial, and my daughter had rented the, the video so oh. at the time when we first moved. And I remember I sat there, I had um, a really bad cold, so I couldn't hardly speak. This is coming from a hot country in there, and uh, I remember watching it, and I'm watching that scene where Johnny's walking from the sinking ship onto the deck, and I'm thinking, this is going to be big. This, I said, I've got a phone call, man, and I said, listen, <laughs> any chance I can get on that council? She goes, no, sorry, no, no. I was like, I was gutted. About two days later, I get a phone call. Oh, we've had a phone call from Jerry Brookhoffer saying, I've got this character called Prolifico, and they want you to cast for And I could hardly talk. I was like, well, I can't talk about that, I can't talk. So you've got to come down and do this live, um, uh, not podcast, we called, video conference thing in London. So I had to jump on a train out Reading Station, all went to Soho, I've wrapped up, I've got a big coat on the whole thing, gone into this, the studio, there's a big TV screen, and you've got Johnny Paul, who's the director, and Jerry Brookhound on it. And they said to me, um, said his words, the captain goes down with his ship. I was like, the captain. Goes down to this shit. I'm free to do so. Then after 18 months in the Bahamas filming two films back to back, and I'm, I'm still on the contract to do another one. Yeah, I'm amazing. Years later, so yeah. That's, <laughs> so, like, That's amazing, mate. Nice. So who is the who do you um, love working with the most? Because obviously you've uh, you even. Uh, did obviously the Dark Knight, so obviously yeah. you must have met the, the late Heath Ledger, yeah. um, and you've been with Mike, done film Shiner with Michael Caine, yeah. um, and obviously the Pirates of the Caribbean film. So you've been with a lot of uh, big, big films. And yeah, yeah. so, who was your favourite person to work with as actor and maybe producer? Mikey, no, that's a good question. I don't want to upset anybody. Well, <laughs> okay, anyone that stuck out that actually like you yeah, like, oh. No, um, I just finished shooting the latest James Bond movie with that Daniel Craig. This is yeah. the last one. And um, it was great actually because we're on a film set. It's a crowded film set. It's my first time filming, and they've got me. I can't really tell you much about my character or whatever, but I've appeared on this set. And as I've appeared on this set, he's come in, and he's coming across. He's looking at me he's like, "Hey, he's wants to shoot my hand." I thought, "You think I'm interested?" Yeah, he's very just like, oh, better looking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know we do so much with him, you know what I mean? But um, I think one of the proof of the, the people that stands out, the persons that stand out most in my career is um, Roger Moore. And uh, I've worked, worked with three James Bonds now, three, three four James Bonds. Um, Timothy Dalton, we did Penny Goethe together. And uh, Roger Moore did the Quest with Van Damme in Thailand. And Roger Moore stands out because this guy was the most down-to-earth human being I've ever met in my life. And he was so engaging and he had so much time. And I remember we were out in Thailand and they had that TV show, um, I think it was on a Friday night, it was like Michael Parkinson. <clears throat> it's called Film Something, where he'd go around and interview these different film stars. And this is going back in the 90s now. And he was interviewing, he'd come up to interview Roger Moore. And so this interview, and I was walking past and he was like, Winston, young man, come here. And he goes, put your fanny back there. <laughs> and I was like, I looked at him and I was thinking to myself, he goes, oh, he goes, in, in England, he goes, in America, your fanny is your ass, it's something you sit on. In England, there's something we eat. Respect. So much more. So much more. So this to me. So from that minute, it was like, I, mean, I spent six months getting to know him. And he was just an incredible human being. So as far as enjoyment and meeting someone, he was the best. But then the best camaraderie and family environment I've been in is in Paris of the Caribbean. Yeah. Uh, we were stuck on an island called Freeport in the Bahamas. 
and all the casting crew are stuck on this island. And so you're like living, you're living, you're eating, drinking, everything, through work, you're working together in a very small space. So it's like a big family. Oh, amazing. Amazing. You, uh, you don't seem to be phased by any big names. So is there any big names you have been phased by? Like you wanted to kick Jackie Chan's face off. <laughs> so like, for me, if I met Jackie Chan, I'm like, oh, Jackie Chan, don't kill me. <laughs> the person that I tell you something, one time I've been, I've been starstruck twice in my life, I yeah. say. I went to the, um, the BAFTAs, the LA BAFTAs, about uh, 2008. And um, Sidney Poitier was getting a, a Lifetime Achievement Award. And I remember thinking, my God, Sidney Poitier, and I got to meet this guy, you know, and I grew up watching this man, he changed TV, the, the way black people see him film. You know what I mean? So he's like my massive hero. So, and I got sat at his table. And so I'm like, this is honest to God's truth. I'm sat at some big round table, and he's here. And I'm like, Mr. Poitier, this is the man. And I, I can feel the tears in my eyes, and I'm thinking, this is him, this is really him. I've got some photographs taken. I feel this tap on my shoulder, and I'm like, yeah, he was him and Denzel Washington. I'd love to work with Denzel. I haven't had a chance, but there's something on the cards at the moment I can't talk about, and that'd be somebody else that I really admire. I want to work with. Awesome. So, when you um, when we said with the Pirates of the Caribbean, obviously you had a lot of special effects yeah. or makeup and stuff. Um, what was it like acting with? Real I've seen all the little markers. And, stuff, yeah. yeah, what's it like doing that? It was almost impossible. And almost you're, you're acting, but you don't know really what you're doing. Exactly. Looking like because, or acting. Yeah, you know the scenes where I'm working with um, my captain, which is um, Bill Knight, and because he's got the. Um, the octopus head all the tentacles. Thanks, man. Because you've got the octopus head with all the tentacles, you have to, you can't, you don't see that for real. You see on the film, but you don't see it first because what, what he's actually wearing is a pajama suit with loads of dots on it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how we, I'm like, you guys are about to be a pirate. I always dress up, I want to be a pirate. And I've got to wear a pajama suit for 18 months. <laughs> and the only time I actually get to dress up like a pirate is right at the end when we become our own selves at the end of the film. But it was like we had to stay a certain distance and always be careful because we have to be aware of like I'm still doing here. Yeah. I have to be aware that I can't go beyond this certain distance because his tentacles are there. Oh, I think Maggie's yeah. tentacles being there. And with mine, I had this, this shell head and my eyes would do this crazy thing with snakes and people come up my eyes every now and then when I got angry. But um, I would just like ham it up and play with it and play with the character because I remember when we got there, the first time we got there on film and then Gore Vinci came up and he had us on the line. And he's walking down talking to the different actors and he'll say, listen, your character does this and your character does that and you're going to be this kind of thing. And then when he got to me, he just looked at me and was like, <laughs> was that the first time you've done a role where it was well, CGI, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was the first time I'd ever worked with this on a CGI thing. And the thing about it is it's crazy because um, I'd worked on Shine with Michael Caine and Andy Serkis. And Andy Serkis went on to become the man that started all the CGI yeah, stuff. Yeah, he was Gollum, wasn't he? Yeah, Gollum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he owns the company. He owns wow. the company. He, so he went on, he was talking about it then, and I still couldn't understand it. So I missed out some real things in my life, I'll tell you, but yeah, Andy did it. He did an amazing job. Now he is the man to go to. Was Gollum like his first I think so. character like that? I think so. And then he went on to do the Planet of the Apes, where we played the Apes, and King Kong, he played yeah. that as well. So, so yeah, he's, 
he's like in the forefront of the CGI world. That's crazy. So, What's been your favourite role to play? Like, you're always playing bodyguards, and you know, yeah, you've, you've done a lot of sword fighting and yeah, like, done, big special effects. Like um, I think to date, one of the favourite characters that I've played has been um, this, this new Bond movie. Even though it's a, it's a small cameo, it's a nice little piece for me. But um, as far as acting is concerned, I think doing parts of the character was a real challenge. And we've had it for 18 months and we work with such high-end actors. And so you have to be on your game, you have to be in point and the So yeah, but we've got something I'm doing right now and I think this is going to be the best thing for me. It's the best challenge I've ever It's based on a true story. And it's, uh, it's about the first it's a guy called Tom Molyneux and a guy called Tom Cribb, and they were bearing up the boxes. And Tom Molyneux was a guy that fought his way out of slavery to fight Tom Cribb here back in the 1800s. Wow. And so it's, and it's the reason why the Marcus of Queensbury rules came to effect, because yeah, it's part of the brutal, you know what I mean? And so we've got some big cast guys with big names on it. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm playing a, I'm producing it, and also playing a very big role in it as well. Awesome. Really good character, so I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, we're looking forward to seeing that one. What role was it that you played in Cass? Because I, I remember Cass. Oh yeah, that. Zulu. I played Zulu in Cass, and that was a nasty piece of work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I met Cass Pennant, and um, he said to me, <clears throat> I want you to play this character. It's based on the truth. This guy's a real guy. And he's a nasty piece where I met him when I was in prison. And this is what the guy had done. He told me stories when I was thinking to myself, just listen to the story from Cass Pennant telling you about this guy. I was sitting there, I'm shitting myself. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, and this guy's a real, you know, he's a real living person. I'm thinking, I've got to get this right. You know what I mean? So, some of the stuff that he's done, I can't even mention on the podcast, if people believe, but he's yeah. very violent there. And I went to visit and sit down and talk to him and understand a bit more about his character. And I thought, so, yeah, some people deserve to be locked up and you're one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're so behind this thing. You're right where you are, man, because definitely not. But that, when I went on screen, it was, it was, um, it was crazy because we, we rehearsed the fight sequences in there. And uh, I have to still keep apologizing to Monzo. Monzo, I'm so sorry, because he's that played cast in the movie. And if you watch the fight sequence, you'll see that I actually Punch knock him, him out. I actually, <laughs> I actually knock him out. He's a big fella as well. Yeah, he's six foot four, I thought, I fucking didn't wake up. Because <laughs> <laughs> we had rehearsed this fight sequence and um, <clears throat> it was choreographed by a guy called Dave Lee. And he choreographed this fight scene. Worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. And I've been used to, because I was working with stunt game and stuff, I was used to how I move and how I move. Nonzo, he wasn't so used to it because he's an actor. And I was thinking, you know, you really want to get a stunt double in who can move and do this kind of thing because this is quite a complicated fight scene to do in a very small area with two pretty big guys. And one of them doesn't have that kind of training. And um, basically, we worked on the routine. And the person, the person, I told you! When I say duck, duck, you didn't go. So we worked on this routine yeah, over, over and over again, and we got it right. And I said, Are you sure you got it right? He goes, Yep, got it, got it. Right, we did it again and again and again. As soon as the camera went on, like everything went out of the window again. That's what I mean. And the thing is, my, my part is I'm on a blind side, and so I come up and let it swing out. And he moved the wrong way, he turned it on right into me. <laughs> and I was like, whoa! And he said, he could hear a story. It's just like, wow. He got How tall are you? You must be like 6'2. Six, 6'1. Six, six one. Yeah, he's like 6'5, six, yeah. 6'4, five, 6'5. Six, oh, six, 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 yeah. The guy was like, He's big, like, like, yeah. he's about 28, he's took him out of the <laughs> Yeah, one shot. <laughs> <laughs> this is the photograph that we've got. I've sent you guys. It's got Castle on one side, 
And Bones walked out, so I'm in the middle with Bones. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Eddie Hall, that's the man. Who's like, Eddie, when I met Eddie, he's like weighing, he's, he was 31 years old and he was weighing 31 stone. Yeah. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> wow. He drove down from South Stoke on Trent to meet me here to ask me to do this documentary for him. And um, I got into his truck. <laughs> when I got in the truck, he had these two big family size, and I'm not even kidding, they're like, no, this is the coolers you take to the beach. Yeah. <clears throat> Two big family-sized coolers in the back of the truck. I'm like, what's with that? And he goes, um, well, have a look. And I opened up one, it was empty. And I opened up the other one, and it had like chicken. You name it, there's all this kind of food in there. And he goes, that's for the journey home. And that one, the empty one, is the journey on down here. And like 15,000 <laughs> calories a day. Yeah. 15,000, that's, that's, that's just going to kill you. I'm like, come on, man. Who can have 50? You're just constantly eating. We went to Switzerland together and to go meet the investors, and they took us out for dinner and they put some steak on the table. And I'm not kidding, these steaks were like this. And he's just, and then he went, eight years, and then he went, and we're not thinking, how do you eat like that? Mad. That's just insane. Wow. Why is it like meeting him? Like, uh, is he a nice guy? T- tell us a bit about him. Eddie's, Eddie's um, is a wonderful man and very determined. Once he's made his mind up, there's no change in it, do you know what I mean? And um, one thing I found about Eddie is the fact that, you know, once he get, he doesn't care about, he, he cares about training. And to get him to focus on the fact that now you want to become an actor, so you don't do that kind of training anymore. You have to focus on training to be an actor. You know what I mean? But his, his life is training, I think. He always wants to be the best at whatever he's doing. And um, he's got that drive and determination. After yeah, is he gonna, you think he's going to beat four or who's going to win that fight? <clears throat> Put your money down. i tell you something, right? <laughs> uh, speed and technique, I give to Eddie. But, see, see, you know, see. They don't <laughs> call in the mountain for nothing. No, yeah, everybody's got a punch's <laughs> chance. When you've got that kind of weight behind you and you can throw a punch, all you've got to do is connect, one connect, and that's it. And this is the thing with these guys, there is real hatred there. So it's not like a boxer when they're in the ring and they sort of like, there's a certain like controlled aggression. These guys want to rip each other's heads off. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Does um, Eddie have boxing experience? He has been taking a lot of boxing lessons now. Yeah. Because yeah, one of my friends, uh, he's one of the top stunt coordinators in the world, Ray Nicholas. Mm. He's a boxer, actually, he's just trained Eddie. And now Eddie's actually hired a professional boxing coordinator. I have to admit, he is moving and looking really good. I've been watching the tapes because we're going to be filming some of it in the documentary. And we're going to be there filming on the day, but um, yeah, <laughs> that's one that I'm kind of nervous about the outcome. I don't even want to. Because it's it's just to me these two big guys who have really got this grudge match, and they're, they're two incredibly strong human beings. I just feel to myself, you know what? For entertainment, I don't want to see anybody get hurt for entertainment. You know what I mean? And I just feel to myself, someone's going to get hurt because <laughs> <laughs> like, that's a lot of power. You know what I mean? I, we did a scene in, um, I don't want to give away too much about it, but in the documentary we did, we, Eddie would turn around and talk about life experiences. And I remember asking him, I said to him, um, Eddie, you know, you lift five, half of you know, 500 kilos off the ground. How do you get your mind into that mindset? What do you have to do? And he said to me, um, I actually thought about my wife and kids in a car on fire. And I have to go and pick the car up and put it over. And that's why I get my head into that headspace. And I thought to myself, Let's film that. I mean, so when I ask you the question on film, the audience will see the actual reenaction on the screen. So we decided to film that. So we set up, we've got the stove and tram, we've got this BMW, 
you bring the car up, it's on a special gimbal, so so basically we have flames inside of it, fire engines there, stunt right here. And I had there's ten of us, the stunt coordinators, and there's a woman inside the car, it's all controlled flames, but yet still the car will only roll a certain way and it will stop. I'm not kidding you, we had the cameras in set and then Eddie comes, we filming Eddie and he comes running towards the car, and the rain is coming down, he's running towards the car, and he hit this vehicle. And it shifted about four feet. <laughs> and that's ten guys behind it trying to stop it. You know, I've got five guys, I should have got five million now, I've got five guys. I'm literally trying to stop this fucking thing from moving. In fact, I might have it on my phone, but I'm not kidding you, seriously. He hit this vehicle with full force and literally it shifted about four feet. Yeah. And I'm thinking, this guy's not human. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's a beast for no, yeah. no reason either. He is not human. He's and that was a reenactment. Imagine yeah, that's a reenactment. And the thing is, he's just got his, he's able to get himself into that mind space. But it's like, um, but they're in the gym and it's like, you've got some weights like this down here. And um, it's like, so you can bench press that. And he's looking at me, he's laughing before I was taking the piss. And I goes, because that's my arm curls. Are <laughs> 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 kidding me? Wow. <laughs> Those are the arm curls, those are warm ups. And that's what I'm thinking, you've got to be joking. But he's, he is literally a beast. I can't explain nothing. Man's a beast. So, if you're interviewing people like that, do you take inspiration from what they do and put that yeah, into your own workouts? Do you still work out? I did. Do you I have still, a routine. He taught me a lot about training because the thing is, uh, you know, to me, it should be like a sponge. You know, you don't want to turn to block yourself and say, oh, this is a get into a routine and you become stagnant. So, I always like to experiment and take on. I listen to the other people say, listen, what do you think about this? And, change techniques and because I think your body's always developing as you get older your body changes, so you can't do the same things you used to do when you're in your 20s or your 30s so you have to find a different way to get those kind of results you know and listening to Eddie I learned a lot about eating at the right times because you know they used to always say don't eat after 8 o'clock at night and stuff like that but now I realised that my body I don't eat carbs after 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon do you know what I mean? Because it, it does change the effect of my sleep pattern and my training pattern and stuff. And I, I learned all that from Eddie. He really does know his stuff when it comes to nutrition and healthy eating. Yeah, man. Yeah, and yeah. That, um, like you say, you, you know uh, Dave French, and he's a he's oh, yeah. you know he's still benching stupid weight at. I, I don't even know how old he is, but seventy six. Yeah, and that's just got married yesterday. Did he? Yeah, he got oh, wicked, yeah. oh, wicked! Yeah, yeah. So, like, obviously, taking that all that information from them, how how has your training changed in the gym? Um, like talking to Eddie, talking to Dave, and then everyone else you've met, because obviously you've been taking on, yeah. like everyone that you meet. Because obviously- I've taken, I've taken a bit from everyone. I think Dave has been the most, um, he's been the most influential in my life when it comes to weight training and stuff like that, conditioning training, because. No, you can say a lot about Dave French, but he knows his stuff. He knows his stuff when it comes to training. He knows his stuff when it comes to nutrition. And um, I remember I was living in Hong Kong, and uh, back in, I think it was 1996, and uh, there was this whole news broadcast about Princess Diana, when she passed away, when she died. And then on Panorama that night, they had Dave French talking about steroids and taking steroids. <laughs> and he was, he was saying, yeah, because only, yeah, steroids, yeah, we got to get through it. And that's why he lost him with his gym back then. The thing about it, he's been taking steroids all his life. And I always say to him, you know what I mean? They're going to dig you up in a thousand years time, you're going to still be exactly the same. You're going to preserve <laughs> But the fact is, he is incredible. The maggots still... are going to have muscles around him. <laughs> <laughs> because he's still breaking records. He's got, I think, yeah. for his age, he's got the, the, the heaviest deadlift and the heaviest bench press, I think, for his age group. So, yeah, you've got to give him credit. The man's still going strong. 
I train in the day, do the gym with Dave, obviously before lockdown, we train together. And he's blowing people out of the way. He'll train with me, then he'll train, I mean, fully train with me. And somebody else will come in the gym, we'll train with them fully. And then his actual weight training partner will come in, and he'll train with that guy on a full routine. I'm thinking, how do you do that? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just incredible. What does your training look like at the moment? Uh, it's, it's all indoors. Or before lockdown. Uh, Let's go before <laughs> lockdown, so you, you had a, you used to do everything. Yeah, um, and before lockdown, I'll be training every single morning of days. So I get down there for about 7 o'clock in the morning. That's how I start my day. And as soon as I finish my workout, because he doesn't allow you to train for more than 30 minutes. And it's not because you can't. It's because he believes that's the most impact you get because he doesn't have any mirrors in the gym, he doesn't have any music in the gym. And he just turns out and says, right, we're gonna blast it in it for 30 minutes, and I'm gonna make you work for that 30 minutes, you know what I mean? We do one body part per day. Oh, <laughs> wicked, wicked. And that way you sort of like, you really develop, you feel the benefits of it. And then I'm heading to the studio. And that's what I was doing with Dave. But since the lockdown came into effect, it's just what I can work at home. I go for a run in the morning, I do my exercise, I got some weights, I do a little bit in the house or whatever. Keep the guys They called me up and said, You pussy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He goes, Come on, because he wants to push me. But every time I'm going for a movie, I go to Dave and I get myself conditioned. It will depend on what the role is, you know, because he's my go to guy. Have you ever had to make any radical changes to what you look like? Yeah, you know, I had lose to lose a lot to, of weight. I went up to 18 and a half stone before for a film, for a film project. And that was tough because it was hard for me to carry that kind of weight and get used to moving. And um, yeah, that was a tough one. But was, uh, my, my average weight is around about 15 and a half, 16 stone. I'm up to 18 and a half stone to do that. Thing. You look 18 and a half stone, isn't it? That's the thing, it's, 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 it's solid. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's funny you say it, because actually it just shows actually that, con- that continuous training, that continuous just turning up every day yeah. from 16, to however old you're now, 21, look at 21. Oh, thank <laughs> um, you. <laughs> but you know, it's just, it's, it's testament to your actual training ability. And I think that's what a lot of people forget. And I think that's what I, I want people to take from the podcast is actually, you yeah. know, it's actually the people that are interviewing, these yeah. you, like top actor, you're a top martial artist. And you know, you. you're an actually, it's, consi- it's actually consistency. So yeah. I'm not trying to lie to anyone. We're not trying to sell them anything. We're just saying, turn up every damn day. And it, it shows testament at, at 56. Find, find something you enjoy doing and so it's a it. lifetime, you know. Exactly, and that's what I always say to people, you know, the thing about it is don't, so there's a lot of fads that pop up and people start getting into it and they all the equipment. And I must admit, I did it, I was dating this girl from Finland and um, she took me out to Finland to go skiing. And uh, I went out and I bought all the gear, all the ski caps, I put it in my mouth and I bought all the gear, all the bit of brand new. Yeah, all the, all the brand new. Do you know what I mean? You want to buy something, go out and do this. Yeah, yeah. And I, we landed in Finland, came out of Helsinki Airport, and it was like the scene at Cool Runnings. <laughs> what am I doing? What am I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I called me, I called me, I was like, wait, you're back. <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, in Jamaica, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I got on a ski slope, but she finished me at the end of it. We got on a ski slope, but I swear to God, Michael, I went from about that mirror to maybe that, that bar over that bench over there. I took them off and I went back in the cabin and I was like drinking that red hot wine all the next three days, that's what I did. I was like, you guys have a good yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, those white people out there crazy. <laughs> 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 you think I ain't got no brakes either, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nah, I swear to you, right now, if you go to my loft, it's all in there. Pristine it's condition. About <laughs> 10 years old, pristine condition. Honestly. But like, no, it's for me, as I said, training has been part of my life. And 
it's, it's taught me discipline, it's taught me commitment. And you have to be consistent, you have to be, because I think to myself, I'm healthier now. If I, I've seen guys in my own age I went to school with, and I'm like, really? I can't rec- I rec- I recognize them, I'm not trying to be big, but I see them all like, I'm thinking, no, I can't be that, I can't be that yeah. man, you know what I mean? I want to be, I want to keep going. And that's why I look at Dave at 76 years old, and he's able to do what he's doing, nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I want to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you f- follow him. I've heard of him. Charles the Glass, is it? From He's American bodybuilding yeah, yeah, trainer. Yeah, 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 yeah. He must be about 70 now, but yeah, he's right. in incredible shape, training all these, like, um, like Mr. Olympians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I follow him, and he's, you know, like, he just said, there's consistency as well. And, you know, it's, like, it, it's consistency. I've watched, you know, we've been doing interviews, obviously, with Sylvester Stallone and Arnold and these guys, and these guys still working out. They don't yeah. do it as intensely. Sylvester Stallone, he works out like an animal. Do you know what I mean? To this day, and there's a man who's got seventy-two. So this is to show you. You know what I mean? You can, if you really turn around and focus, and you turn around, you sort of set yourself something you like. You say you love doing. It doesn't become a chore. It becomes something that you. That's like I said. You know, if you find a job that you love doing, it's not work. And if you find something you love doing, like training, exercising, it's not a hardship. It's just it's a part of your daily life. You know, and, and that's how I feel about it. What you um, just touched on uh, interviewing uh, Arnold and Sylvester, yeah. you'd like to expand on that? What, yeah, what well, basically what it is, the project is about when Eddie, it's actually called When Eddie Met Arnold. And what it is is that Arnold, Eddie, Eddie Hall has always been Arnold, is, uh, Eddie, Arnold has always been Eddie's inspiration, he's always looked up to him. And it's funny because they both had very similar lives growing up, you know, they're, they're sort of very mirror image in a lot of things. And so what it is is that um, Eddie's, Eddie's transitioning, he wants to become an actor. And the mental health that he's had to go through in transitioning, you know, he got to let go of that whole ego thing about, you know, I'm the world's strongest man, you know, pumping weights, and then all of a sudden, you, you know, you, you think so, I've got to deplete because I've got to turn and be good for the screen now and all that kind of stuff. And the mental torture that he's taken and the suffering he's going to go through. So he goes to start to talk to Arnold, and Arnold is a massive fan of Eddie Hawes, you know, because they're now just joint partnership now because they're in the Arnold Classics here in the yeah. UK. And so, Arnold was like, I'm happy to do that. So when Eddie called up and said, I'm going to do this, and he goes, and Arnold's agreed to be a green in there, I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'll do that. I'll be the executive producer. That's a win-win. And then from there, you think about to, it. <laughs> and then from there, we started thinking, I started saying to myself, well, I wonder who else has been on that journey. And then I started thinking, well, Jason Statham, he used to be a diver. And then he became a big actor. And then he had um, Dwayne Johnson, wrestler, American football player. Now he's an actor. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm thinking, like the biggest, biggest name highest paid yeah. actor at the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And then you start thinking to yourself, well, I wonder who else has got a story to tell about the mental torture or the, mental, or the discipline you have to go through. And then before you knew it, it was like all these guys were sort of, and it's because of Eddie's magnetism, because they all admire him. It's just, it's just amazing. I see yeah. I saw Sylvester Stone around Eddie, it's like a little kid was, oh my God. Yeah. I still remember, I still remember yeah. Arnold's face when uh, Eddie pulled out 500. He was clapping. He was the biggest fan on that stage and there was like 10,000 people there. Yeah. And Arnold was and the biggest Arnold fan. Yeah. The most excited person in the it's, room. It's just true because the thing is, I've been in a room whereby you see these guys turned up and the crowds are going nuts and whatever. And then Eddie walks in and then it's these guys going nuts over Eddie. It's because, do you think the difference is that those guys know how fucking it's hard that is? It's a mutual respect of how hard they understand. It's know how hard that is. It how, is, because you know. we film it, we film the scene, so we actually got some fake weights in, and we're going to reconstruct it in the gymnasium as in um, Stoke-on-Trent. And we had a, a fake setup, so it's like literally a quarter of the weight. 
and I bent down to try and move it, and I couldn't even move it. <laughs> so to understand what he had to put his body through to do that, yeah, it's just, it's just that wasn't a parody of Thor's lift, was it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you something, right? Even the, and that's the thing about Eddie. We put the, we got we had these weights specially made, so it looked like he was lifting the same weight we wanted to reconstruct it in the gym. And he didn't want to do that. He goes, no, I want to lift it. I want to go for the real thing. I was like, you can't put your... And he goes, yeah, well, I want to make it at least look realistic. And so we're going to put as much weight on there. Because he doesn't want to fake anything. He's yeah. real. He's, I'm not kidding you. Eddie Hall is the real deal. And I said that to him. Because I've seen what he can eat. I've seen what he can bench press, what he can squat. I've seen he can push 10 men out of a car, force them across the road. So, no joke. And the thing is, he's, he's been tested. I can't believe said it is now, but apparently he's... Um, his heart and his liver, or something that's got some sort of like this is what you find in the book. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know if it uh, might be a, he's got a, a special gene as that's well, right, muscle gene. builds that's quicker right. as well. And they said they only find it in bulls. So yeah. I have, I have heard that, I don't know how, what it is. Yeah, apparently he went tested by some genologist. It's all those steaks he's eating, he's yeah. got <laughs> 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 you know It's so funny because we went to Switzerland. Because that's where the, um, the investors are yeah. based in Switzerland, and we're in a place called Basel. We landed, we got there, and this we've gone to this guy's uh, favorite eating place, and there's a lot of grassland, and there's these the, the cows, are these beautiful cows, yeah. <laughs> and people actually travel to come and see. And they wear bells as well, don't they? You know what I mean? Beautiful, these coats of these cows are just like uh, amazing. And so I'm taking these pictures of these cows. Then Eddie gets out of the car, starts to walk across to come and see the cows. The cows turn around and start walking around. People actually come down, it's like a tourist thing. People yeah. come down to take pictures with the cow. And as soon as Eddie started to walk towards me, this cow started walking around. Not the today, way. Eddie. <laughs> That's like when dogs carry away from wolves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they just know. They just saw him and like, I said, they know, they know you're going to. You don't want to take pictures. You, you see lunch. <laughs> <laughs> what's, uh, what's your favourite exercise then? Obviously, Eddie's has got to be the deadlift. Have yeah, you got my a favourite press. Uh, yeah, you know, my, my exercise has always been bench press. Um, <laughs> for many years, I was that guy who only ever trained up half of his body. Yeah, bench and biceps. <laughs> so, like, since I had these little skinny legs walking along, like, <laughs> many years. And then they were like, nah, you go. And because the thing is, I used to think of myself, it restricted me when, like, when my stretching and my kicking. And again, like I said, it's just true to lack of education because once I started talking and working with the right people, I realized that, yeah, I can pump those weights and still keep flexible if I do the right type of training. Um, yeah. So that's it now. But yeah, for years it was just, <laughs> that works, just don't look down there. <laughs> <laughs> and have you got a favorite move except from the roundhouse kick? <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite martial art? Was it the Muay Thai or was it, was it Muay Thai you did? No, yeah, Muay Thai is what I did. Um, I, I'd say for me, it was the Muay Thai, the Kung Fu was, the, was, was my tradition, that's my ground, that's my foundation. But fighting and competing was definitely the Muay Thai. I do love the jujitsu, but I always, I always felt like you got to get on the ground to do it. Do you know what I mean? If that makes any sense. I yeah. was like, I don't want to get down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always I'm, I'm of that old mindset that I don't want to be in a 50-50 situation with you. Yeah. I want to take the, I want to, I want to take my advantage. I want to take my chances. No, especially when you're in even if it's just role play. I want the advice. So I'm like, I want to be standing up on my feet. I want to make those kind of moves. I feel I feel more comfortable standing up. You, you know, you're massively over average height, so yeah. you're gonna have a big presence. I saw you were walking yeah. in. I was like, damn. Nice to get in the ring. It's a weather like up there. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I fought this guy. That's how I got the arm um, of detached retina. I fought this guy in Holland, 
And I remember, you know, we had that British attitude of like, you know, high fives when it's nice to me. Motherfucker, I'm gonna kick your ass. And I was like, okay, all right. <laughs> and that was the attitude they have. Yeah. And so basically, I had to get myself into that. I used to always have to wait until I get kind of hit for a couple of times and then I get in the fight. And I had to change that whole attitude <laughs> because I was thinking, this is starting to look different now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Not the so. money maker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The funny thing about it is now, after all these years, I've been able to double for Idris, you know what I mean? And he's a really good friend of mine. And um, I remember when he got voted, because Vanity Fair came out, he got voted the sexiest man on the planet. And he's probably like, yeah, I can just vote the sexiest man on the planet. I'm like, yeah, but everybody says you're like me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. <coughs> Wicked. Um, Moving on from there, who do you look to for inspiration? I know we've touched on a lot of people. Is there anyone you kind of like go, oh, I wish I could kind of, you know, that is a wicked scene. I wish I could be part of that. Or yeah. is, there, is there any sort of like big scenes like, like that you fancy like being a part of or you look to and like, I want to recreate that. Now you're obviously, yeah. or you've been producing. Is there something you like, oh, we, let's get that into my scene and I'm going to take part of that. Who Who is doing that for you? At the yeah, moment? the thing about it is there's a lot of, I think I would like to take, I, I'm kind of like old school. And if I'm to be honest, I'd like to get away from the CGI stuff yeah. and go back to the old traditional web film where you saw real action, real acting, and that kind of stuff. Because I think the CGI stuff has gone a little bit. Too you know, CGI. You watch those Fast and the Furious movies, the first couple of Fast and Furious movies, you think, yeah, great, fantastic. But at least yeah. the last one you think, the cars are literally flying. And, um, like, come on. And uh, I'm not, I don't want to put it down because I love The Rock, but that Rampage film, the CGI was just like, it was, it was just like too the much. Too. Yeah. It was like watching the car too much for me. Yeah, and that to me has just gone a little bit too far away. Yeah. But like I said, there's not particular, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I'd like to recreate. But there's actors that I'd love to work with and films that I'd like to remake. Yeah. Because you know I mean? I'd see myself now with what I know now, I think we can make that film a whole lot better. But then sometimes they say, you know, why reinvent the wheel, you know? Yeah. So just leave the way it is because that's why it's a classic. You know? Have you got a favourite film? Are you a film man yourself or are you just... Yeah, uh... you, know, you know, one of the films I consider to be one of my favourites is Scarface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> I was there when it was filmed. I was, I was actually, I was, that's when I was fighting in the US Open because yeah. that's when I was out there in Miami wow. and filming it. And there's a scene where you see, um, one of the catches name, which is coming down the glass lift. And there's a big crowd across the room. I'm in that crowd watching them film. Oh, that scene, you know I mean? <laughs> And that was my first experience of movie, of, of movie business. But I was not in the movie business. I was an 18 year old kid watching them film this movie. You know I mean? so he wasn't bringing in all the bags of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, that scene where he saws the guy out in, in, in the shower. Yeah, the Colombians. Yeah, the Colombians. You know, that stretch of beach right there. I stayed there as well, yeah. That's where I was. Uh, Ocean Drive. That's where, that's, where, that's where I was. Yeah. I stayed in a place called Coral Gables. I stayed right? in. What it's called? It's on the corner. See, as you see the um, the Cadillac come right, down, yeah, yeah. and then it turns the corner. Yeah, like I stayed on the one in the corner there. I used to train on that beach every day because I used to play in the same place called Coral Gables, and we used to come down to train in that beach, train on the beach, and then we go to the gym on South Beach Highway and wow. teach martial arts, and that's what I was there for three years. Wow! Did you live in America then? I lived there for three years. My oh, father's still. My father's in New York. And oh, I lived, I lived in Miami for three years. Came back here when I was twenty-one, and I opened up the gyms there. And then I moved to Hong Kong when I was going to be 31 and I stayed there for 10 years. Where's your favourite place to live? Like it? So far, it's been Hong Kong, 10 years in Hong Kong. I thought going to say Reading. <laughs> Reading is my home. That's my home, that's my base, that's where my family's at. That's where, 
I always, I don't live, I don't, I don't want to live in places like LA or those kind of stuff or London. I, I live with where like it keeps me grounded. These guys that keep me grounded, family, they keep me grounded. I go out in the house, it's like, where's to put a kettle on? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a star. I'm out of here. So yeah, so I like coming back home. That's what I mean. So yeah, but Hong Kong is a nice, Hong Kong nice is place. one of the best places I've ever lived, and it's true because like. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you can get whatever you want. <laughs> you can get whatever you want. You want to buy a suit, you go into a tailor shop and just stand there, and the guy just fit with a suit, Armani suit, and have it tailored, and the minute you're ready to go, and you just go to the next place. It's, it's, it's the one of those places that never closed, and I love that. Yeah. You know? That's what we need around here, the big boys, tailored fitted suits. Yeah, you, know right, exactly. <laughs> you know, you can always, you always look good because you go into a shop and you turn and say, I want to have you take a picture. I take a picture. I used to walk around, so I see something in the magazine, I like that. I walk into a tailor's and be like, can you make that? Yeah, no problem, we make that, no problem, come here. <laughs> 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 Next thing you do, you're wearing it. Yeah, that's pretty good. Well, come on, you get pay half the price, you know what I mean? What's the food like in, uh, in the best place you've ever eaten around the world? And where would, like, oh, and Hong Kong, obviously, you've probably got some nice food there too. Hong Kong is great. Uh, but one of my, <laughs> I'll tell you, Jackie introduced me to some delicacies that I don't even want to mention. <laughs> but Singapore was one of the best places for me. Yeah. You know, Singapore, Malaysia, the food was just incredible. And I spent, when we did the quest, we spent six months in Thailand. And the, we were eating fresh fish every, it's the healthiest I've ever been. Is it um, easy to stick on diet then, there? Yeah, I was, I was on the, because we had 16 of the world's greatest fight, best fighters on that film set. Wow. And these guys, are, you know, they, they're the real deal. They, they, weren't, they weren't actors, they were the real, they were the real deal. And there's some egos, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so basically, yeah, we were eating, I was eating fresh fish and vegetables every single day. Weekend. Yeah, it was just amazing. Have you, actually, have you had to sort anyone out with an ego in your, in yeah, your time around? That's, that's happened. We had a, I had a little brother with Mr. Seagal years ago. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and um, that, that, that was a long time ago now, though. But as I said, I don't back down from anybody. And, uh, it's just one of them things, you know what I mean? But like, it's for, for me, as far as I'm concerned, you respect me, I respect you. You know what I mean? But if it's going to happen, you're not leaving me without me. You're going to remember Someone's going to die. <laughs> yeah. You're going to remember me. You may win, but you're going to remember me. You're never going to forget me. So look in the mirror, you say, what can you miss to me? <laughs> like you're detached right now. You're still like, nah. yeah. I have yeah. read he's not the easiest to get on on that. Listen, that man is hard work. That's what I'm going to say. It's hard work. <laughs> <laughs> How would you uh, say you are as like a person being on set? Are you quite laid back, um, or are you? you, know, as, you a, as an actor, I, can't, I have been very demanding. Since I became a producer, I don't want to. I now respect because <laughs> <laughs> like, I used to give producers a hard time as an actor. I don't do that anymore now because I realise that it's not easy being a producer because the buck stops with you. And yeah. Even the cleaners gonna be shouting at you. Oh, I want to get paid. I want that. Everybody's at the same time. And I remember when I was as an actor, it was always a case of, well, I want first class travel, I need a driver to pick me up, I want this on my phone, my lunch, I need to have somewhere I can train, and you know, and I want my pros and cons. Now, when I'm as a producer, and people are saying that to me, I'm like, you. It's <laughs> <laughs> my budget going there, so I realize I'm doing this. What's Michael J. White like? Have you met him? Have you worked with him? Yeah, we worked together on Batman with Heath Ledger, I did that. And I actually, I just got put in the Hall of Fame, the HBO Hall of Fame last year, I was in New York, and he got made, he was in the Hall of Fame as well, so we both got put in the Hall of Fame at the same time, so I got to see him again. Michael J is a lovely guy, and he's the real deal. He is the real deal, he's not a, not a guy to mess around with, believe me. And he's a very proud man as well, so when you're working with Michael, you gotta be on, you gotta be on point. <laughs> and what was it like working with Heath Ledger? What was, you know? You know what? 
I'll tell you something, it's the one thing that always chokes me up. I'm not going to lie about it because I met Heath and um, he was, uh, I'm going to walk onto the Batman set. I'd just flown back from, um, from the Bahamas. And uh, when I got back here, we were shooting in London. And he was doing this, you know, that coin trick, you, oh, yeah. you catch the coins. <clears throat> and he was stood over there, he was dressed as a gentleman, and he was doing that coin trick. He had about four or five coins, and he was just like messing around. I'm looking at him, I walked over and go, listen, uh, let me show you. And I put like about 10 coins in the and caught them. And so he was like, okay, do that again. And we started, and that's how we started talking. And I started showing him a couple of card tricks that I knew him, and we started talking like that. And then I realized that, you know, he's only like two years older than my son. And so it was fantastic. We really made a connection. And so for the week I was filming with him, it was me and him every break, it was me and him talking about tricks and talking about stuff, we talking about our kids and stuff, you know? And so we'd arranged to meet in New York. And it was gonna be about three or four weeks later. And I remember I got to the airport, at Heathrow Airport here, I was literally going through to go check in. And I got a phone call from an Australian radio station. And so that's one interview, how do you feel about the death of Heath Ledger? And I'm like, what do you mean he's dead? He's not dead, he can't be dead. I'm just gonna meet the girl with me in New York now. Well, he's dead, and that was how I found out. Oh, no. It was just heartbreaking, believe me. Absolutely heartbreaking. Do you think everyone says he went, like, really deep into character? Did you see that upset? The character had nothing to do with no. his death, but he was great. He knew how, he, I saw him switch. He'd be like, just like this right now, and then Christopher Nolan would say, okay, ready? And he'd be like, what? And it was a yeah. different person, you know what I mean? There's that scene whereby he looks down to me, and he goes, why so serious? As he goes to cut my boss's throat, cut Michael J's throat, you know what I mean? And that was admin, that was completely admin. And it's because we've built this relationship up that he wanted to do that. But I remember when he did that scene the first time, Christopher Nolan said, Winston, stop staring at him, Michael. I was like, <laughs> 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 goes, come on, you gotta, you can't look more. And I'm like, but seriously, because you really just lost in that moment. Yeah. He was like, as soon as he looked down, he was like, and he did that scene, I was like, Jesus, I'm really quite scared of this guy. Yeah. It was very intense, very, very intense. Have you, um, have you obviously, there since then we've had, I forget the other guy's name who played the Joker. Um, oh, um, oh, yeah, cool. Not Phoenix, the latest right? one, the, uh, the one in between in Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah, so yeah. His yeah, portrayal yeah. was yeah. Very, very, different very different to Heath's. Yeah. But the latest one with Huckleberry Phoenix, is it Huckleberry yeah. Phoenix? Yeah. Um, I felt it was a bit closer. Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix's character, I think he just, he pulled out of the ballpark. It was amazing. Yeah. I thought that was a brilliant film. Yeah. I watched yeah. it like three yeah, times. Yeah, it was a standalone film as well. Yeah, you didn't have it's, to it's, know one those, yeah it's one of those, like you said, standalone movies. I think Jack Nicholson was the one that turned around and did it first. You know, I mean, he really sort of yeah. like set the benchmark for the Joker. And nobody thought that anybody would do it any better than him. But when he there came out, he put a completely different dimension. He brought a different kind of feel to the character. And it was like really dark. But what what he did, I thought myself, was just like he did out of the ballpark. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big role to take on. Yeah, it's a big role. It's a frightening role because the thing is, whenever time somebody does something like that, and they make such an impact as an actor, and you want to go and follow that, you see, that's a massive bit of steps to fall into. So, for, I credit those guys for actually even challenging themselves to take on that role, because you know when I when you, when Jack Nicholson did it, everybody thought you know this is the best thing since sliced bread. There's no way. And then when, when he came along and did what he did, it was like, well, we just moved the benchmark. But um, like him, he just, yeah. And it's all, the thing is, they all brought some different elements to that character. You know what I mean? But it's, it's a great role to play, I think. What was Christian Bale like? Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Christian Bale's a very nice guy. Love him to bits. Yeah, he's perfect, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Real professional. So, um, <laughs> uh, let's have a quick touch on like uh, mental health issues around film. Yeah. Do you think um, that, especially watching those sort of scenes, I know uh, a couple. I think it was last year, you know, that blue story came out about London yeah, and like, yeah. oh, it's inciting violence. Yeah, sure. you know, oh, this did it, incited that. Do you ever think that, um, obviously it's never the the proposition of the film to do that, no. but I don't, I don't know what I was trying, I don't trying think, to ask. I, I, don't think, I don't think that uh, those things incite violence. Yeah. I think that basically what it is that the media and the government have turned around and yeah. an excuse to turn around and go say, you know, what, what we need is education. We have to go, this is the bottom line. I've said this, I've spoken in the House of Parliament twice now. And I said, we need to go back to the basics. We're going to go back to the schools and we need to educate our kids. Because if you don't teach them all about history, then you can't be surprised what's going to happen. Because when I was at school growing up, I never knew any, I never, I, I had no one to identify with. There was no role models. The only role models I had growing up were Muhammad Ali, which was called Cassius Clay back in the yeah. day. And Viv Richards, the cricketer, <laughs> you know what I mean? And that was it. But when it was time to teaching you history, and we talked about Sir Francis Drake, Christopher Columbus, and all these kind of amazing people who've done these amazing things, and that was all I had. I thought, but all these guys are white. So where are these role models for me to identify with as a kid? Amazing things, as long as you're not like a native yeah. too. Yeah, they, so uh... you saw, you sat in a classroom, you're looking around, you're thinking, well, okay, there's three black kids in this classroom, and there's like 30 white kids. And all that they talk about all day long in these history lessons are these white people. So where do I fit in? And our parents back in them days, they used to be very strict and they say, you know what, you have to fit in, a, you know, you get good education. And you're, they're beating you to fit in. And how do you fit into a, a society where you stand out so much? Yeah. You know what I mean? And it wasn't until I went to the Bahamas in my 40s and they had Christopher Columbus Day and everybody, you know, all the white people were getting the celebrations going. They used to the black people like, why would we celebrate the man that came over here, raped and pillaged and turned out? And that's not good. There's a different side to this story. You know what I mean? Now, when they have all these recent rights and they're putting down the statues, I don't agree with that. I think the statues are part of history. They need to be in a museum so that our children can learn from them and learn what really took place and what these people really represented. But by us being becoming vigilantes now and putting a rope around the point down, that's not right. You can't do it that way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because not, all you're doing is you're buying into what they're already calling you. You know? So for me personally, no, that, that was never. I believe that um, the films, it's the media that turn around. The media has made our kids what they are. Because, like Facebook and you know, all the social media. When that all came out, I was like, you know what? This can be a fantastic tool, but it can be a really dangerous weapon. Because the fact of the matter is, you've got young kids that anybody can go on Facebook. And in the beginning, anybody could say whatever they wanted to say on Facebook, post whatever they wanted to say. I remember people like Justin Timberlake turning around closing their accounts and kids were like threatening to kill themselves because they thought he was blocking them off. And I've seen this firsthand. So you think it's education education to start with? Yeah. At home and at schools and obviously social media because obviously that's uh, the most easily accessible way to to look at things. To be honest with you, I think there should be a licensee you should have for you to be able to go on social media. There's some people that go on... I've got people in my age group and they're waking up in the morning taking photographs of their breakfast, their dinner, their bedroom. What? <laughs> what is that all about? 
Do you know what I'm saying? This is what I have to eat today. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> the thing is as well, it's all so fake. And I, I remember I remember vividly this one time was that uh, I was out with my girlfriend at the, I think it's a Penta Hotel in Reading, right, and, yeah. and it's three guys, and it was walking around the hotel going, oh, take a picture of me here next yeah. to a nice bookshelf, and I'm going to yeah. send it to that girl. And he goes, get a picture of me pretending this is my yeah. super table. And yeah. I was like, and they're actually saying it to each other. Yeah, and then exactly. obviously you're creating this facade on Instagram, Facebook, and, and I think that you know yeah. oh you're you live in this like mansion house or whatever and i'm yeah. like trying to aspire to that and and that's exactly it and the thing is what's happened is that with reality tv it's made our children sort of like think that's real life i want to be like i want to be a youtuber now i want to be a influencer i want to be an influencer yeah or i, I want to turn around where all that fake i want to get my lips pumped up i know this girl right <laughs> i know this girl right? you know I mean? she's like the same age as my daughter love her to bitch she's a beautiful young girl i bumped into her in town a couple of weeks and i was like what it's like she's got two big wolf bangers on her face. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best know. description ever. <laughs> I just looked at her and I was like, what have you done? What is that? It's like a baboon that the, that's like she's one of the baboons. She's like, she's like, she's like, she's like, she's like, I was watching um, a program last night um, and there's an, a British actress right. in there and she's obviously had. Yeah. But it's just like, I don't get what they're doing. I was looking at this. This thing's probably a couple of years old and I was just like, going through her mind like why did she do that because obviously yeah, she's on yeah, screen exactly but she obviously thinks it looks good or she has to look that way yeah. but for me I saw that straight away I was just like why has she done that and like she was a pretty girl before you know the funniest like, thing for me it's crazy funniest thing for me is uh, this guy that I know I'm not going to mention his name this is a local guy and he's been known to be a bit of a racist you know what I mean going back in the day and his wife <laughs> she's had a lot of fake lips done big ass or whatever like see you're a racist, you don't like black people, but you marry this white woman and she wants to be black. She tans her skin, big fake lips, and the ass is out here, and I was like, you, you, it's your own. Yeah. What's the term? Now you know what we're going to be missing out on. That's it. What would, you, uh, what would you say to, I guess, to any of our listeners or uh, kids, adults that do look at social media and do watch films and do like, either take away bad points from a film or bad points from social media that like maybe makes them feel down or depressed or you know they're comparing themselves to an actor with this like massive yeah. like I know a lot of people always um, compare themselves to like the actors when you know they've taken a long time to get into yeah. shape and you know like um, what's his name that's in um, Baywatch the young fella shredded yeah, 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 I want to look like him but yeah but he's been paid million to, to do that, to do that right. and look like that you're exactly. getting paid your job to go to your job and actually you're never going to look like him because he's got serious good genetics exactly the thing is that one thing I would say I would say to people is the fact that you have to remember that we're all individuals and we, don't, we can't all follow the same pattern what your workout routine is going to be different from your workout routine it's going to be different from yours it's going to be different from mine your, our bodies we can do the same exercise and all four of us get completely different effects from it and one of the things I always say to young people when they come and they talk to them they always say listen find your own identity look absorb digest but then get rid of the crap do you know what I mean and don't just take it all in and say I've got to do this I've got to be, I've got to be a part of that I've, I've got to fit in be, don't be afraid to be an individual do you know what I mean because for years I tried to fit in and it was never going to work the minute I turned around and said you know what I want to go around I want to be me I want to turn around and do what makes me happy not what makes everybody else happy what makes me happy and you know what it's like for me back in the day. A lot of people turn around and be like, yeah, who the hell do you think you are? You're from Reading. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're never going to turn around and do Mr. Hollywood. You're never going to do this. You're never going to... 
You know, it's like back in the day, people don't always turn around ragging. I'm like, you know what? This is my journey. And until you start paying my bills and start putting food on my table, this is my journey. And now these same people have come back, oh, Wins, man, remember that day we used to hang out together? No, 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 no. You know what I mean? I've had people call me up and send me a message on Facebook, people from Reddit. Yeah, listen, I've got bills to pay, mate. You can't have some money now. I'm like, what <laughs> do you think I am? But you know, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, do you think a lot of people um, uh, in a in a philosopher in a philosophy way look but don't actually see yeah. you know they're looking at these people but don't actually see the hard work they don't exactly. see the graph they don't see like uh, don't see the, the, the early start like you say you're getting up every day to train That's they don't it. see you you've taken the shit from when you're a kid from you know you're 18 you fucking right. attached retina you've taken the shit but it's only the shit of the 20 years actually that's made you into the person you are today exactly and that's the thing what, what, I, I'm just like anybody else you see me post on my social media you won't see me post about religion you won't see me post about politics anything like that but what you see me post on is all the positive things that go on in my life and what I'm going to do with my grandchildren with my work and whatever but that's what's going on behind closed doors yeah. so you see it's like a little there's monsters all running around, there's the demons there. You know? so I have to fight that. I have to like, and that's just the kids. <laughs> that's just the kids. You know? But like, it is, you know, at the end of the day, don't get caught up in my, my recommendation to people. Don't just get caught up in like, because we grew up without social media. You know, when I was growing up, we didn't have that. And so we still can make, I did this without social media. I created my lifestyle without social media. You know I mean? I didn't know what, I remember when I talked to my daughter now, and she actually, we went to our, I remember she was like 14 or 15, I think it was, and we were going to um, the museum we went with a friend. And we pulled up out to the National History Museum, pulled up park around, pulled up, so walking down the road. They're looking at a phone box, a <laughs> phone box. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. That's yeah. like, oh, yeah. wow. And she goes, what, everybody uses this? He goes, how hygienic is that? Because <laughs> they can't understand the mentality behind it, you know what I mean? But for me, it's like you say, it's, it's a case of be an individual and don't just follow the crowds and, and don't allow social media to hypnotize you into thinking that's reality because it's not it's not reality this is what somebody wants you to believe is their reality and like you say you know, that, that, that's not their pool table that's just something <laughs> that's faking you know what I mean so be your own and that's it find your own I, um, I saw a good meme this morning and it said um, an unpopular opinion um, it's okay to go through life not achieving a grand achievement right. but just finding interest in interesting things exactly you know like a lot of people look to others and think oh you know like I don't feel good enough because I'm not achieving that or yeah. I'm not doing that or I haven't lived that I haven't yeah. reached that but actually that's it's it. okay just to that's have lots saying. of different you interests to, don't measure yourself by another man's standards or by another man's achievements you know what I mean too busy you looking at not enough living that's it because the thing is you don't know what that person had to do to get there mm. you know what I mean because I know actors that turn around and bend over and take and then turn and say listen I'm not gay but I'll do this because I want to be famous what's been your biggest struggle then going through the like obviously it's, back in the day like obviously being the only black person in school yeah, or a couple remember, of people and then I remember when I was in Hong Kong I was treated like a king you know what I mean once I learned a movie game I could go anywhere I was doing two three films a year and I was everybody knew who I was and when I came back to England like nobody knew who the hell I was. Yeah. I remember going for my first Coca-Cola Coca commercial and there's like 50 other black guys in this room look just like me. And I was like, damn, this, this is not what I'm used to, you know what I mean? I went for the BBC, I went for a job on the BBC to try and do an acting job and it was in EastEnders. And um, they were like, well, there's no main characters for black people in this. And I'm thinking, really? I said, I, I, the worst thing that's ever happened to me, I honestly have to admit, I got a phone call from the BBC about three years ago 
And they were like, we'd like to have a comment from you, Winston. Um, it's the first, after 60 years of filming Coronation Streets, they now introduced the first black family. You know, how do you feel about that? And I was like, it's like seriously, just, I think the question's insulting. Yeah. We've been here for a hell of a long time. You guys are only just noticing us now. Yeah. Christ sakes, you want to ask me a stupid yeah. question like that? Because as far as I'm concerned, you know what I mean? You know, the first black family in 60 years, and you want to make news about that. You should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's enough yeah. black guys playing for... To be fair, you should be ashamed, yeah. should be ashamed of yourself for watching that shit anyway. So yeah, so for me, it's a case of like, I tell people, try and find your own. Don't be afraid because with the, with the technology that young people have these days, they can make their own moves. They can do their own stuff. You know with, I mean? um, uh, uh, with yourself being black, um, obviously, but born in Reading, yeah. um, is there anything that you would say to like other black people to say like, you know, um, to like like give the motivation and not to yeah, get off not that bandwagon, man. Yeah, it, yeah. just get off that. I think I, a lot of people disagree with me, but I think there's a lot of guys in Reading that I grew up with that carry a chip, and they've been carrying that chip for a long time. You gotta let go of that, man, because the thing you got one life to live, and it's what you do with it that counts. And if you sit there and think about what happened in some other foreign country and try and make it your own problem, that's a waste of time. Because yeah. a lot of guys walk around think. It's like my father, man. When they see people, with the guys walk around wearing jeans, you know what the old man yeah. is like. My dad's always dressing macularly. He would never wear denim. Our dad, our dad never wear jeans. He would never wear jeans, and I was like, "Why don't you wear denim?" He goes, "Prisoners wear denim." You know what I mean? That's the truth. Back in, in the day, it was only prisoners that wore denim. Do you know what I mean? So that's the kind of mentality. And then when they wear the trousers, their trousers all the way down here. He goes, "Well, that's like an advert in a prison. You know, that shows that you're a bitch in prison." You know what I mean? So how do you want to do that? You know what I mean? The guys that wear their trousers down there means you're accessible. Do you know what I mean? So for me, it's like when you're all identity, make your own. Don't just follow the crowd. You know. So that's it. Definitely. I know people that are walking around today with tattoos, these tiny symbols, and Chinese guys in Hong Kong fuck with them. They're like, yeah, that's yeah. It says hope. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's what it says. It says, yeah, prosperity, man. <laughs> oh, so basically, just just be yourself and uh, yeah, and own, own it, man. Like, own yourself. That's what I mean. At the end of the day, if you're ashamed of being who you are, you've already lost the game. So, do you, obviously, you said like that chip on the shoulder. Do you think that's a big problem at the moment? Is I, think you see? I think I think, uh, and I think what I find is if you notice the riots that went on just recently in London, whatever. They're all young kids. There's nobody of my age group or Michael's age group out there doing it. Now Patrick was picking the people out of the crowd. <laughs> 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 you know what I'm saying? Patrick's about the most Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he was stopping people. And it's the young kids that don't, they, they're starting thinking, okay, this is racist, but they don't understand it. They don't, they don't know the history. They don't have, they haven't turned around been in school whereby they've been taught. Because if you turn around and sit down and you have Chinese kid, an Asian kid, a black kid, a white kid, and you sit on a Mexican, you sit them all in the classroom, and you teach them real history, the truth, you're gonna get you're gonna get five kids who are gonna to learn to live with each other. Yeah, definitely. I remember I was talking to my wife yeah. about history and he goes, Man, you're more black than me. <laughs> I was looking it all up and I was like, man, like yeah. the stuff that's gone on, it's just like exactly. you know, and that's what I'm saying. It's always like I, I hate it when like especially you know white guys middle class level, yeah. the foreigners and that. Actually, we colonise half of the world, yet we're saying, keep yeah. the foreigners out. I just don't understand it. I and had like, an MP, a very, a very famous MP, and this happened like three weeks ago, 
phoned me up and I'm doing, uh, doing this talk and we we're going to do this talk with Anthony Joshua. Oh, okay. And uh, this MP turned and goes, oh, this is so, so pretty, you're going to do this? And he goes, you know, I've got this friend called Clive. He lives in Reading. Do you know him? <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't. Think about it. That's not the point. That's not the point. You know what I mean? Like, some place, like, yeah, you didn't I'm just give it. Like, no, but I was just like, seriously, I can't believe that. And the thing about it with this guy, he was like, um, how do you feel about Black History Month? And I was like, well, I don't think it should be a month. I think Black History should be right way through. And yeah. he was like, yeah, I just don't understand the dynamics of Black History Month. Don't you, what is it all about? I'm like, hold on a minute. You're an MP. I have to give it away. You're an MP for one of the biggest constituency that has the most ethnic, you know, Black Asian people in it. And you don't know about your own constituents. You don't know their history. What does that tell you? Do you think people are too afraid to look it up sometimes? Just go on damn Google. Literally, I went on Google and I just typed in uh, like the stuff I wanted to know and learn about, like especially like you know the Caribbean roots and that sort of stuff, and and understanding all that sort of jazz. Because you know, like we listen to reggae, we listen to like roots, and like I want to understand, I want to see where it comes from. Do you think people are too afraid to open themselves up to even understanding black, what we've done? Even black, in, in my own family, my own brothers, I've had this discussion whereby they, they don't teach their kids about so, about race or about slavery and stuff. I'm like, you have to. That's part of history. And it's not like you're trying, you're not building a monster. You're not building somebody trying to, you want the people to understand. And, and the thing is, if you're afraid of the past. Do you think yeah. they're scared that it will yeah. then increase maybe rather than understanding what has happened, it would then increase maybe hatred. There, there, there is that fear, but I think it's all down to education and how you're told and how you present this and, and show where we, this is what would happen. But here's where we are now. Mm. You have to follow the story. If you just turn and leave that there and say, look, then it's like social media, just leave it, you just throw something out there. And of course, kids are taking what they want to take in, but if you educate them, because when I was growing up, you know, when they, the TV series came out, I was like 14, it was Roots. Yeah. And I remember the first time watching Roots. And I went back to school, and the first person that called me my surname, I, not, I was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? He was like, no, 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 you don't call me by my surname. My name's Winston. Don't call me no Ellis. <laughs> because the thing about it is, when you just watch that, you have no guidance. It just becomes this, this hatred and this anger inside of you because you think, this is what they did? This is how they made it? But then when you have someone that sort of like education to you, this is how it was, and this is what happened, and this is what this is how it changed, and this is who changed it, and here's the people that put like President Lincoln and Frederick on there who turned around and made these differences and stood up. You know, it makes you understand that there's other people out there, there's another way of dealing with this. Yeah. Muhammad Ali stood the people, I got asked a question on a TV interview the other week. If I could have dinner with three people, alive or dead, who would they be? And I was like, Nelson Mandela? Muhammad Ali and Sidney Poitier. Yeah. I mean, three men who stood up against everything. And you know, um, the thing I love about Mandela, he spent years in prison knowing he was going to come out and change lives. Yeah, yeah. some people won't even get out of that fucking front door to change their own life. Exactly. Like, he stayed in prison, yeah. like red every damn day and yeah. changed his life. You might as well try to be locked up. I'm, yeah. I've been to Ellis No social media, no PlayStation. You might as well I've been to Ellis Island, I've been to that cell. I've been there, I've seen it. It's it's like, there. Yeah, it's yeah he was on his own. You can literally do this, you know what I mean? Yeah. Touch the walls on the sides, and it's a bit longer that way, but this way it's like that. I'm thinking 30 years in this place, and you come out and you embrace white people. That tells you something mm. about the man. 
you know what I mean? You lock me up for 30 minutes, I, I want to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I, mean? but I, I was reading about it, he, he knew he was going to come out and do it. And that's like, the that's the he's, like, like you said, you told your friends, I'm going to be in Hollywood, I'm going to be an yeah. actor, I'm going to do this. But, and you did it. Exactly. He was telling people, I'm going to come out, I'm going to change the way we well, see us. And that's the truth, that's what see he did. Them, us, and that's we. the reason why I admire people like that. And the thing is, at the end of the day, he could have come out, he could have, he had every right in the world to come out and be a bitter man. Or he could have just killed himself in prison. Yeah, I mean, he could have just like, let himself die, but he... But he knew. And that's the thing. You have to admire people like that. And that's the kind of thing that we have to... When you turn around and start educating kids about the past, you have to turn and bring these elements so they can turn and see the balance. And they don't just become hatred and consent, or can, uh, whatever. They, they feel like, okay, this guy did it this way. This is how he handled it. So let me use that as a role model in my life, you know? Rather than just turn around and throw that bit of information in and say, yeah, I'm worried about Nintendo and, and, and conflicts now. Yeah. People are too busy um, trying to win a war, you know, and actually they could just, sometimes best to just walk <laughs> away and, you know, actually walking away is the win sometimes. Walking away is the win, you know what I mean? The amount of times that I've been confronted by people who <laughs> walk down the street and people say, yeah, I saw you fight that guy in that movie. I don't think you did. Come on, let's have a go on. No, yeah. People on. say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let this fool you. I'm a, Here's I'm a an fighter. education. Acting was, was my history of choice, but I'm born fighter. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, perfect, perfect. Um, so, is there any sort of quotes that you live and, live and or train by? I remember you saying one earlier yeah, on. Yeah, that's that's it. You, on the thing is, as I said, you are... See, I may be forgetting now. That's why yeah. I said to, Well, I can tell you to prepare, he's preparing to fail. Yeah, And that's something that I live by. And I also, I'm off his style of God, leave the ego here. Because as far as I'm concerned, you know, when I'm on a film set and as a producer, I, I'd like there to be a real comfortable environment, a real family environment. Yes, I am the boss and the worst stuff with me, but I don't throw that, because as far as I'm concerned, my dad always told me, you know what I mean? Why buy a dog and bark yourself? If you've got somebody who plays a, as a cameraman, and a director, and a makeup artist, whatever, and you've chosen correctly, you can afford to let these people do their job. That's a great saying, I love that. <laughs> yeah, so why buy a dog and buy yourself? So I don't want to be there in everybody's business. And you know, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, once I've got you on board, do your job. And I'm gonna, I'll notice if you're not, and that's when you'll hear me. <laughs> but until, until that day, just do your job, and we're going to get on fine. That was it. Awesome. Have you got any questions before we wrap up? Uh, future goals? <sighs> you know what? I think whatever I do, I always want to achieve, I always want to get to the top. I always want to get to the top and, and being inducted into the Martial Arts Hall of Fame last year and then just recently being voted as one of the, because um, there's a book that they have for all the greatest martial arts that ever lived and I got inducted into that just recently, last couple of weeks ago. Wow. And so it's like, you know, it's like, that's, that's been great for me. I think for me, the pinnacle now would be to turn around and achieve a massive goal in the production world and turn around doing something like the movie Let No Man Know When I Study About the Boxers or the only call that trying to get an Oscar and an award. You know, then that'd be, that, that'd be my goal, but yeah. You know what I mean? Because I, I, I've got that, that um, competitive instinct in me that I want to be, I'm knowing that I just don't want to be just good, I want to be the best I can be. Yeah, for sure. So obviously martial arts had a massive part of your life. Oh yeah. Would you ever then think of passing that on to others and teach? Yes, I taught for many, many years and I still teach now privately. I teach certain people privately, but for me to actually commit my life back to it again, because the thing is, if I'm going to do it, I've got to do it 100%. I can't do it bit by bit. I can't do it little. You know, and so I will teach my kids and my grandkids, because my, my little grandson, especially the middle one, baby, he's like a clone of me, you know what I mean? From the age of two years, I got videos when he was two years old, and he's watching me on TV, and he starts kicking his brother's older brother. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell a funny story about that, right? It's not funny, I shouldn't even laugh, it's not funny. 
But um, my son, it was at Christmas, just gone. And um, you know the kids that my son bought these, um, there's like a little cameras you put in a wall, yeah. on the wall, and it's like, it looks like a little pixie. So you know, Santa Claus is watching to behave. So <laughs> my older grandson comes in and he sees the cameras, like, oh my God, I've got to be really good because Santa's watching these, clear up the house and do all that kind of stuff. And the middle one comes in and he looks at it. And he looks at it, he looks at his daddy's like, you put that there. And he's only five because <laughs> you put that there. And he's like, no, I didn't. That's Santa. Santa goes, all right, fair enough. Left it. About bedtime, this is near up eight o'clock at night. He comes, walk up to my, there's his dad. And he goes, <laughs> went into the, the dustbin outside, grabbed a package, it came, and he goes, you see, I told you. He goes, you just can't fool him. And that's that kind of attitude that I used to have. You know, I always grew up with that thing of, you tell me something, I'm not just gonna believe it, you know what I mean? I have to, you have to show it to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And that's why I try and get people to understand. Don't just take in what everybody's telling you. Believe nothing of what you hear and only half of what you see. You that's it. <laughs> couldn't say it better myself. That's it. Wicked. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, is there anything you want to add? Is there any um, anything you want to plug? You've got a few things coming out. Do you think you're allowed to let us into? Yeah, well, look out for me in um, James Bond movie. Um, uh, I've got a nice little cameo. It's not a big place, it's a nice little cameo, but it's going to lead on to something else. Uh, can't say too much about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, look out for the piece when that comes out. Yeah. I think that's, that's my first speech in that documentary. It's the first thing I've ever done as a producer. And it's one of the it's, it's one of the most expensive documentaries ever made. Excellent. One of the talents involved in it, and I think it's going to turn around. And when you hear these guys, these big big stars, and they talk about their journeys, I think it's going to help a lot of people. I think a lot of people will be like, "Wow, really? That's what it's about." That's what it's not. It's not just a case of one day they became these big movie stars. Yeah. There's a real story behind every single one of them. Yeah, man. This is what we're trying to do on the podcast: get the stories out. And I think you've actually, I think you've smashed it today, man. I think we'll probably go on for another couple of hours. Um, but yeah, I think you... No, it's cold. <laughs> and we've realised you don't like the snow. <laughs> Wicked, man. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Much guys. appreciate it. Seriously, thank you. Thank you, thank you.